Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. And if you would grab a Bible, or if you've got a Bible on your phone, um, turn over to the book of Acts chapter 9. We're going to dive into Acts 9 this morning and look at a great passage of Scripture, continuing um, in our study of Acts. I am glad that you are here this morning. I am thankful for your presence here with us as we come to be with the Lord. I know that He is with us, and I am thankful that you are with us. We believe, as I said a little bit earlier, that we are a refuge of grace. And that has a lot of different meanings to it. But one thing that I love about a refuge of grace is that God is with us. Uh, We are here to focus on Him. Uh, The church is for His children, right? It is for us. It is only comprised of His children. And uh, we are here this morning to listen to Him, but also to be together. And so I want to ask you to do uh, me a favor, if you would, this morning. In the chair, in one of the chair pockets in front of you is a connection card. Uh, would you grab one of those? You, you may think, oh, they already know my name. And we may, but I still want you to grab a connection card. And so I want to ask everyone this morning, if you would just grab a connection card and jot your name down on the front of the connection card and then hang on to that. We may use it at the end of the service, uh, but what, one thing I want to ask you to do at the end of the service is place it in one of the, block, one of the black boxes out in the back of, uh, or in the lobby in the back of the sanctuary. As you go out the center doors, you'll find the black boxes there. At the end of our service, as we're leaving, I want to ask you to drop that connection card in there. Uh, if you're new, if you're a guest with us this morning, Don't worry about putting your address or uh, your phone number on there. Uh, Please do, but we're not going to show up at your house. We're not going to spam you with text messages or anything like that. Uh, We just want to have a way to be able to send a nice note to you saying, welcome to Whitechapel Church. It was great to have you with us. Also, if you are a guest, if you wouldn't mind, stop by the Welcome um, Center back there. They just have a gift for you. Uh, We would just like to give you a gift as our way of saying welcome to Whitechapel Church in person and shaking your hand if we haven't already. Also in the chair pocket in front of you are some offering envelopes. Uh, We give here at Whitechapel Church. Uh, We are, all of our funds come from the body. Uh, We don't have funds that come from anywhere else. And so we just want to say thank you for supporting the ministries of Whitechapel Church, Warner Christian Academy, our thrift store and outreach center. All of it is funded from here and we thank you immensely for that. But in, uh, on these offering envelopes, um, that are in the chair pocket in front of you. They look a little bit different than they have in the past. Um, There's only two places on that um, offering envelope to give. One is your regular tithes and offerings. The other is called the Grace Fund. And I want to share with you our heart behind this Grace Fund before we dive into Acts chapter 9 this morning. Um, 
One of the things as we as uh, our leadership has met and discussed this, we want to be able to streamline our giving here at Whitechapel Church. There's been a variety of different uh, places to give, and so we are streamlining our giving with just two simple options, your regular tithes and offerings and what we are calling the Grace Fund. A refuge of, a refuge of grace needs a grace fund, and that's what this actually is. We're still going to do the exact same ministries. We're not changing the way that we operate. We're not changing how we give. We are just streamlining our giving. And so in these two ways to give, through your tithes and offerings and the grace fund, we've streamlined our giving. Our tithes and offerings will be for everything that we have budgeted for. You know, if you've been at Whitechapel Church for a while, you all as a congregation vote and approve our budget. And so the tithes and offerings will go exclusively to our budgeted items. And then the grace fund will be for the other opportunities in ministry that we have that may come up throughout the course of the year. One of the ways that Pastor Brooke just shared with us uh, was through our Rock the Universe. Uh, another way is we have a great children's ministry. I'm thankful that we're a part of a church that sees that the younger generation is not the future generation of the church. They are the now church as well. And so we're investing in student ministries. We're investing in, um, in, in children ministries. We do this in a big way as a church through Warner Christian Academy and the preschool through 12th grade. Uh, and we are seeking the Lord in every, every area of this ministry. And so we want to ask you, as these special needs come up through the course of the year, we'll ask you to give to the Grace Fund. We did this this last year with Thanksgiving baskets. You all stepped up in a huge way and helped out, and we provided Thanksgiving baskets and meals, a full meal um, for, it was almost 100 families. Uh, we did it through Christmas gifts. Several of you brought in Christmas gifts. But the one thing that we're going to do with the Grace Fund is we're going to make commitments in these certain areas, and then we're going to use the funds from the Grace Fund to actually fuel these specific ministries. And so we'll talk more about the Grace Fund over the weeks ahead, the months ahead, um, and we'll, we'll be able to share updates back with you of what's taking place with this Grace Fund. And I don't want you to worry, the congregation, the elders, still control this Grace Fund. And so we're not separating anything out, it's just us as a church being able to streamline our giving. And so if you use a tithing envelope, you'll see that there. It's noted on here, the two ways, tithes and offerings and grace fund. If you use our app, Secure Give to give, you'll see on there when you woke up this morning, there were two places to give, tithes and offerings and grace fund. And if you have any questions about this, uh, we want to be able to share the information with you. And so please don't hesitate to reach out to me reach out to the church office, reach out to one of our elders, and we'll be able to give you some updates through this. So there's some awesome ways for us to be able to continue and further the ministry for decades ahead here at Whitechapel Church, and we believe the Grace Fund is a great way to do that. So let's take a look at Acts chapter 9 this morning. We've been continuing our study of the book of Acts, or we are continuing our study of the book of Acts, and we're going through um, chapter by chapter uh, what's taking place here in the early church. Now, we ended and looked at the last couple of weeks uh, this guy named Stephen, a man full of God's grace and a man full of the Holy Spirit's power, who was elevated within the church by the apostles. Stephen actually uh, was arrested. 
He made a confrontation against the religious leaders. He spelled out the work of God all the way back from the beginning, all the way up to the arrival of the Holy, of the Holy Spirit. And then Stephen was actually stoned. We see a guy by the name of Saul uh, who was a very, very devout religious person but did not believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Saul begins in Acts chapter 8, uh, the, the Luke actually tells us that Saul was going from house to house and he was pulling the early believers, the followers of Jesus out and he was killing them. So Saul became a very early foe of the early church. And here we're going to see as we read through the scripture, there's several verses we're going to read this morning, that Saul actually, in this passage of scripture, comes face to face with Jesus. Now it's interesting that Jesus was here on earth for 30-something years, crucified, he was resurrected, then he appeared in a, in a glorified body and then ascended back to heaven. But yet here in some way that only Jesus can do, that only God can do, he actually has an encounter and he confronts Paul. And here's what I want you to know before we dive into the scripture, that whenever there is opposition in your life, you have to allow Jesus to be the one that confronts that opposition. Amen? Amen? That's the purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit. The early church was scared to death because of this man named Saul. And they were fleeing. They were running. We looked at Philip last week. He was getting out of Jerusalem because Paul was killing the believers. And here it's interesting to me that God paves a way for us in conflict and says, let me handle your conflict. The early church did not go confront Paul. They did not select a group of people to say, hey, can we have a meeting with you, Paul, uh, and do it a little, uh, a little bit um, scared, if you will, and thinking that they may get killed. They didn't act that way. They knew that God was going to take care of the situation. And in Acts chapter 9, that's exactly what we see happen. The promise for us today that in a refuge of grace, of us gathered together, Jesus always takes care of the opposition. It's not our job. So let's read Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's the believers, we would call them Christians today, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? So here is Jesus actually coming for the confrontation with Saul. Saul is on his way to pull out the Damascus believers, the men and the women, to arrest them, take them down to Jerusalem, let them stand in a religious trial so that they, like Stephen, would also be stoned to death just because they believed in Jesus Christ and had received his Holy Spirit. Jesus comes, confronts Saul when he's going to arrest more believers, men and women alike, and he says, Saul, Saul, verse 4, why do you persecute me? In verse 5, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. Now remember, Saul did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. 
Saul probably, like some of the religious leaders, felt that there was some trickery, or in the South, we would say tomfoolery, right? That Jesus was buried, placed into the grave, and then the stone was rolled away, and then they went and stole Jesus' body and actually hid it. Saul did not believe in the resurrection. Saul did not believe that Jesus had then appeared to his disciples. And Saul certainly did not believe what happened in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, that the Holy Spirit came and filled all of the believers. And so, of course, Saul is going to say back to Jesus here, who are you? And the word Lord here is not him crying out and saying, hey, Messiah, who are you? Kind of a more, hey, sir, who are you? Let's keep going in verse 5. Lord, who are you? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias? Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord said to him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered. And, and I have to tell you, I'm a little bit Ananias-y, if you will, here. So remember, Paul is persecuting the Christians, right? Word has gotten around, and they know that Saul is on his way to Damascus to actually, to actually arrest men and women alike and bring them back for a religious trial so they too could be stoned. And the Lord says to Ananias, hey, you remember that guy that was, now, he didn't say it just like this, but this is my translation. Remember that guy that was crucifying all the believers and he was there and approved of Stephen stoning? Yeah, I want you to go meet that guy. Uh, I don't know that I would have had this boldness and would have had more conversation than just two verses here of what Ananias says back to the Lord. So, in verse 13, follow along. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Just a few sentences to kind of say, are you crazy? This guy's going to kill me. He has killed the believers. And he is right now on special assignment. And you want me to go talk to this guy. Could you imagine what was going on in Ananias' heart? So pick in your mind the worst mass murderer that you can actually think of. Think, think of whatever that person may be that you've seen from the past in news reports. And then he is in direct, that person is in direct opposition of you and what you actually stand for. And so imagine if the Lord comes to you and he says, hey, I want you to go meet with that person. 
No restrictions. The person's not been arrested. They're not behind bars. They're not changed. Just go have a face-to-face with this person. Now, I told that person that you're going to be on the way. And so Saul is already looking for a man named Ananias. And the Lord gave Ananias forewarning that he has given Saul the name Ananias. And he's going to expect you because I appeared for him. I appeared to him in a vision. Verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, go and listen to the transformation of what has taken place here. Because God speaks it to Ananias. Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and he entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, and listen to the words Ananias says, and I love this. He doesn't just call him Saul. He says, Brother Saul. Isn't that amazing? Brother Saul. Do you know what Ananias is saying? We are brothers because of the grace of Jesus Christ. Listen, in a refuge of grace, we are no longer strangers. But we actually become family because we have the same heavenly father. And when we enter into relationship with him, it's not just relationship with him. It's relationship with all of his children. And that's why we can gather together on Sunday morning and then at various times throughout the week. And we can be like-minded because we are all in one family. I remember growing up in the church. I'll talk about this with my daughter sometimes. And I, I remember in the church that I grew up in, very conservative area in southeastern Missouri, so right at the heart of the Bible Belt, everybody in church was brother this, our sister that. And I'm not saying that that was right and not calling people brother and sister is wrong. That's not at all what I'm saying. But that was instilled in me at a very young age that everybody who is in relationship with Jesus Christ, we are brothers and sisters And that is a bond that we did not create, but instead God created and invited us into that bond. And so when Ananias actually is having his first confrontation or first meeting, if you will, with Saul, he doesn't just go in in a timid way because God told him the transformation that had taken place in Saul on the road to Damascus. And he had prepared him, prepared Ananias for this initial meeting. And so Ananias went with a boldness, knowing that Saul was no longer the man who had crucified Christians. That was his past. And that past was completely erased from the memory of God because he had entered into a relationship with him. And now now Saul was no longer that person, but instead God speaks his calling and says, this is the man that I'm going to use to bring the message to the Gentiles, to their kings and to their nations and to their people so that everyone could become a son and daughter, our brothers and sisters with Jesus Christ. And so he says, brother Saul. Let's keep reading. It's verse 17. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me 
so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a lot that could be said about this verse, and I just said a lot about that verse. But I want to just point out what has happened in Saul and then the message that Ananias actually came to proclaim. Here, Saul was obviously transformed because Ananias says, Brother Saul. We see the, the transformation that took place. Saul goes in to uh, Damascus. He's no longer looking for men and women that believe in Jesus Christ, that are a part of the way to arrest them. There's been a change in him. And a part of that was this miraculous demonstration by God that God took away his sight for these three days until Ananias shows up to lay hands on him and actually pray for him. And so then in this, Ananias gives a path for what Saul needs to do in his, in his life. He says, God told me, I've got to come here, I'm going to lay hands on you, and I'm going to pray for you so that your sight is restored. Uh, Ananias did not end there, but he went the next step, and he said at the end of verse number, um, at the end of verse number uh, 19, wait a minute, I'm sorry, I, I skipped ahead here, um, at the end of verse 18, 17, so that you will also be filled with the Holy Spirit. So notice what Saul, or what Saul has heard from Ananias. I'm going to get my sight. I had an encounter. My life was changed with Jesus. Ananias is going to pray for me so that my body would be restored, so that I could fulfill this calling that God has given and spoken to me. And to do that, I have to receive the Holy Spirit. And I want you to catch this right here. I want you to catch what God has done in Saul's life. God has pushed the pause on Saul's life so that he does not go out and try to fulfill this calling until he is filled with the power from the Holy Spirit. God said, hold on, Saul, pause. And God crippled him. Some of us wrestle with the pauses in our life. And we go back to God, and we get frustrated with God sometimes because we're like, God, I just am not doing, I'm not moving forward. I feel like I'm just stuck in this location. And I don't know about you, but I've wrestled with God sometimes that I have been stuck in a certain position. And I know where he wants me to go, but it feels like I'm not actually getting there. So I want to tell you a little bit of my journey in coming to Whitechapel Church. Some of you know a little bit of this story. Um, and uh, I, I want to go back and share bits of this. There's lots and lots and lots that I could share with you about this transition of my, uh, me and my family actually coming to Whitechapel Church. I don't want to get into all of that. We could. This isn't the place to do it because I don't have enough time and you've got to get lunch. And the only thing standing between you and lunch is the time that I'm taking up from you today. And so it would not be right for me to actually do that. Let me. You can get up and leave if you want. So we're not locking the doors back there. Uh, we've not kept you here this morning. You're free to go if you so choose. I don't want to get into those charges. Anyway, so our journey to Whitechapel Church. God stirred, and we were serving in, in, in the church in Crystal River, uh, one of our uh, one of our sister churches. Uh, we loved the church that we were a part of. We loved the, the the people of the church. We loved the school that our family was a part of. 
and God used a couple of, of people in my life to say, hey, we believe that God is stirring in this, and God wants to use you at Whitechapel Church. Um, one of those was, was Pastor Gary, who was here uh, as uh, the pastor uh, in the meantime, or the finale pastor, I think is what the, the, the title that he had, and then he stepped into the pastor, pastoral role. And then another was our state pastor that oversees Florida Ministries, our state organization, Ken Love. Um, so I'm in a meeting with them. They asked me to stay after the meeting. Uh, I'm thinking, oh, did I say something wrong in this meeting? <laughs> you know, what did I say that Gary, a mentor, and Ken Love, our state pastor, wants to talk to me? God impressed on them that this was the right direction for our family to come and join with you and be a part of this ministry at Whitechapel Church. I thought in that moment, well, God didn't say that to me. <laughs> um, you know, we're happy. We love where we are at. And all of that to say this, it was a two-year journey for us from that moment until we actually came to be a part of Whitechapel. There was some forward progress, and then it seemed like there was a lot of pause in that moment. And I want to be honest with you, it was frustrating because I felt eventually after a period of, of a couple of months and wrestling with the Lord, I felt that this was the right direction, that God would allow us to come be a part of the ministry and serve with you here at Whitechapel Church. And then there was pauses through that and I would get frustrated and I felt like, and I actually said to God, it can't be right because there's these pauses or these, these moments, these hurdles, just like what had happened here in Paul's life. And as I was studying this passage of Scripture this week, I saw the pause that God pushed here in Saul's life. You know, God was doing something in those three days in Saul's life. You don't go from being the chosen one to kill or to arrest and kill Christians to all of a sudden being immobilized and your sight has been lost in just a few minutes without God doing something in your life. You don't go from that place of prestige to all of the sudden God comes himself and with a light appears before you. Nobody else in Paul's, uh, Paul's travel companions actually saw this light. They heard a noise but they did not see God. They did not hear the voice of God. God appeared to Paul. You don't go from that place of prestige to having that type of interaction with God without God doing a work in your life. And here in these three days, Paul was immobilized, stuck in a house because he could not see. These three days were vital for Paul. Can you imagine, I wish Luke had given us some more insight. In some of Paul's letters, we'll eventually, and then later in the book of Acts, we'll get a little bit more of Paul's perspective and additional detail of what took place in this, and I can't wait to get to that. But I wish here there was so much more of the record of these three days, of this conversation with God and this conversation with Paul. I don't know if you're like me or not, but there are sometimes something will happen and then I will doubt myself. Well, did that, did that really happen? It happened to Melissa last week. I think it was two weeks ago now. She had a dream that something happened. She's done this several times. Um, she had a dream that something happened. And that dream was just so real. And she woke up mad at me after that dream because of what took place in that dream. 
And I said, Melissa, it was not real. She's home watching um, this morning. She's not feeling well, so I'll hear about that dream again after, I, after we get back home. It was not a real dream. She knew the dream was, but yet that emotion had stirred up inside of her that it created some reactions, and she had this conversation and laughed at herself knowing that it wasn't dream, but yet it was a dream and it wasn't real, but yet these emotions were all tied up in that situation that we had a conversation about it. Do you know, every ounce of Paul's being, his mind his body that it lost its sight, and his emotion, his soul has all gone through some amazing transformation here that now in these three days, God has finally got Paul in a place to where he's immobilized that he can do a great work inside of him. And you know why it took two years for us to transition here to Whitechapel Church? God was doing an amazing work in Whitechapel Church during those 24 months. But God wasn't just doing an amazing work inside of Whitechapel Church during those 24 months. God was preparing me for this assignment. Those pauses that took place throughout that 24-month journey, frustrating me in those steps when it's like, God, come on, you have given the address, now let's move towards that address. But God said, just pause. You see, we have to take advantage of God's pauses in our life. And ask God, God, what is it that you're doing in me in this moment that prepares me for the next step or that prepares me for the journey all the way ahead? I want to show you something. I'm not going to get into politics in this. I'm not going to say electric cars are good or electric cars are bad. I don't want you to take this away. I want to tell you why I don't have an electric car. This is a Tesla that is actually charging. I am too independent to have an electric car. I like to get in the car and be able to drive. And it's no strings attached, right? I, I want to be able to go. I love to drive. I could drive for hours and hours and hours. I'm like rich. Don't just let me get in the car and I'll drive. I love it. I love to drive. I could drive anywhere. If you want to go on a road trip, I'm your guy. But not for the passenger seat because I want to be the driver. Electric cars are amazing. I love the idea of electric cars. But the thing that I love about my gas-fueled car is I have a lot longer range. And I can pull up to a gas pump and I can fill up my gas pump, and I can be on my way in the matter of minutes. In fact, I love to travel, and I love to go. My favorite place are um, the Love's uh, fueling stations because they've got everything in one place. They've got my fuel. They've got a bathroom. They'll have some type of food for me. I can walk around for a second. If we are traveling with our dog, which when we go uh, to Missouri to visit my family, we take our dog. They've got a little dog park. It is a one-stop place for our family. And I love that because we can spend 20 minutes. Well, we've got two daughters now. We can spend 45 minutes there, <laughs> and we are in the car and back on our way. I love it. This I don't know, what is the distance on these? 250 miles, 300, I don't know. And then you've got to stop and you've got to charge and you've got to charge and you've got to charge. I don't 
want to consider one of these cars because I've got to invest too much time in thinking, where is the charging place? How many, how many miles can I go? And then I've got to find a charging place. And then I've got to spend, what, two hours in downtime while this thing charges? You see, all of that to say, I am not good at pauses in my life. But you know what? I don't think it's just me. I think it is flesh. And here in Acts chapter 9, God has pushed pause on Paul's life, on Saul's life. And he has said, you're going to spend a series of days that God has ordained so that I can get through to you and prepare you for what's ahead. Now, God had told him. God had already revealed to Ananias what Paul was going to do. But if you'll notice, Paul does not begin going out and taking the gospel to the kings until he relies and receives the infilling of the Holy Spirit's power. You see, what God was doing was crafting Saul into this man that was exactly like Stephen that we read about in Acts chapter 7 at the beginning. A man full of God's grace and the Holy Spirit's power. And listen, you need both operating in your life. And Paul had received God's grace, but he had not received yet the Holy Spirit's power. And perhaps the pauses in our life are God pausing you so that after receiving his grace, you can go forth with the Holy Spirit's power. A lot like you have to do with an electric car. I don't like the electric car because I've got to stop to get some power. And you know what? The infilling of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit, receiving the power of the Holy Spirit is not a once and you're charged for the rest of your life. Do you know why we gather together here every single Sunday? It's because we, like the electric car, have to pause for a few minutes and gather together with our brothers and sisters so that we receive the Holy Spirit's charge again to go out. And so you know what? This time, in this refuge of grace, is all about God's children. Us getting charged up and others who are not God's children yet coming to receive his grace, to be filled with his power so that as we go out, we are dependent upon the charge of the Holy Spirit in the same way that Tesla is dependent upon the charger that it pauses to connect to. I think we need to stop condemning pauses in our life and instead start asking God, what are you doing in this pause? And you know what is interesting? I love, I want to keep reading here. And this is not my sermon. I haven't even looked at my notes. I've got to get back to my notes. I've got to get to my notes. Let's, let's look at verse, I want to look at verse, um, let's go back and read verse 17 again. And then I want to finish out a portion of this and get to the end of Acts chapter 19. This is all about a refuge of grace. I want, I want you to catch this. This is all about what a refuge of grace is. This is at the core of who we are, and we see it playing out here in Saul's life. It's this idea that we come to God, and then we spend time together, and then we turn and we go. So let's read verse 17 again, and we're going to read for a little bit. Acts, uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul... The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. But it doesn't stop there. Let's keep going. The last part of 19. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Can you imagine what that uniting was actually like? The ones that Paul went to kill, to arrest, to take them back and put them on trial so they could be killed. What did Paul do? Paul immediately received God's grace, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. He was baptized, as God asked us to do, and then he joined himself with his brothers and sisters. He, in verse 19, it tells us that he spent time with the disciples in Damascus. And isn't that an amazing thing about God? The very one Paul was going to arrest and to drag them back to Jerusalem, God said, they're now your brothers and sisters, and you've got to spend time with them. Here is a refuge of grace in action in Acts chapter 9. The very people that Paul hated and the people that, uh, that were actually scared of Saul, his name hasn't been changed to Paul. I'm sorry, I keep, I keep twisting that up here. His name's still Saul. But the very, the very person that those disciples, those believers, his brothers and sisters were scared of, God united them together. I can't wait until God sends some of our enemies into those back doors so that we can all receive God's grace, be filled with his Holy Spirit's power, and from going from foes to being brothers and sisters united in Jesus Christ, people on opposite sides of the aisle, people that don't look like us, people that are lower or higher class than us, or whatever, people that we may have had confrontation with in the past, they actually, under the grace of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit's power, come together as one. And the disciples there in Damascus received Paul into their fellowship. But can you imagine the hesitation? Can you imagine what was going on in their mind thinking, is this a trick? Is this some type of a ploy that Paul has concocted and put together so that as he gets into our midst, then he can grasp us and take us back and put us on trial to eventually kill us? Could you imagine what was going on in the believer's heart? But yet, because of God's grace and the Holy Spirit's power, they moved forward knowing the path of the Lord. You see, if God has pushed pause on your life right now, You've got to ask him, God, what are you doing in this pause? What is it that you want me to learn? Or how is it that you are molding and how is it that you are shaping me so that we can go forward? And you know what? None of us are perfect. There's not one of us after receiving God's grace and after receiving the Holy Spirit's power that actually do things 100% perfect. It's impossible, and none of us will be perfect until we take our last breath here and our first breath on the other side of eternity, and then we'll receive our perfect bodies to be in a perfect environment with the perfect one who modeled his life for us. All of us, all of us here, after receiving God's grace and the infilling of the Holy Spirit, still fall short sometimes, but you know what? In a refuge of grace, that's okay. Because then God pushes pause. And we learn what he's telling us in that pause and then go forward. 
And then we get to another place to where there may be another pause in our life. And that's okay because God has ordained some pauses in our life. And we let him do the, the molding and the crafting and the shaping so that we continue to move forward. But notice the pattern of what Paul has done here in Acts chapter 9. He did not then begin to destroy everything and rip it apart. What Paul did is he relied continuously on, the Holy, or on God's grace and the Holy Spirit's power. But in doing that, he stayed with the brothers and sisters. Well, let's keep going here. Verse 21. Or end of 19. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Verse 20. At once he began to preach in the synagogues. That Jesus is the Son of God. Notice, he didn't get this backward. He didn't start preaching before he received the direction and the Holy Spirit's power. He waited, and then he went out on the Holy Spirit's power. Verse 21, all those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? That's the name of Jesus. And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by, by proving that Jesus is the Christ. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close to watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, understandably so, not believing that Paul was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul in his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria... Huh, that's interesting there, right? There's a few words there that Jesus used, right? Do you see what God did with Saul? He was using Saul before he actually came to Jesus. The believers were quite content in Jerusalem, and they were a little bit happy with how things were going. And who wouldn't be? People are giving their life to Jesus Christ. People's lives had been changed because they encountered God. But yet, the gospel was not spreading everywhere. And God used Saul while he was killing Christians to scatter the believers so that the fulfillment of God's word that we actually see now here spelled out in the scripture. The church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. I want to leave you with two words that I believe that we've got to glean from this passage of scripture. One is come. You've got to come to Jesus, and you've got to keep coming to Jesus, and you've got to keep being filled with his Holy Spirit. And we learned this from Paul. They're coming, and they're coming, and they're coming, and they're coming, and they keep coming, and they keep coming, and they keep coming. And the way that we actually see that played out is that Paul, Saul actually joined with all of the believers. They were called disciples. 
all of the ones who were his brothers and sisters, our brothers and sisters who preceded us, all of them, they joined together. After you come to Christ, you have to keep coming, and the number one way that you keep coming is getting together with your brothers and sisters, getting together with God's children. You can't love God and hate his children. It's not possible. Now, there are some children that stink and need a bath, right? But we are not accountable to those people. We are accountable to our Father. And if our Father loves the stinky ones that need a bath, then we've got to love the stinky ones that need a bath. And maybe God wants to use you in some way. I don't know. But the only way you'll know is when you get together with God's people. Again, none of us are perfect, and that's okay. And there's sometimes somebody's going to step on your toes intentionally and hurt you. That's okay. You've got to keep looking to God. Listen, this is the heart of a refuge of grace. We don't belong to each other. We belong to God. And because we belong to God, we are united with each other. You've got to come to God. But here's what's interesting, is come is not the only word that God uses for us. The next word after come, it's go. What did God do with Paul? Paul, Saul, I'm sorry, Saul actually came. He united with God's grace. He was filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Paul came and he was united with the believers. He was united with his brothers and sisters. But God did not stop there. He said, now go. It happened to Ananias. God said to Ananias, who was walking full of God's grace and the Holy Spirit's power, he said, now I want you to go. I want you to go to Paul. I want you to go to this man. I want you to tell him. I want you to tell him about me, and I want you to tell him what I'm going to do in his life. And I want you to pray for him so that he gets his sight filled, sight restored. I want you to pray with him so he gets filled with the Holy Spirit. And I want you to baptize him and send him back out so that he can fulfill the calling that I place on his life. The two words that God uses with you are come and go. Come, be filled with his grace. Come and be filled with his power. Come and unite with your brothers and sisters and then go. And that's why we're here on Sunday morning for an hour and a half. And then we go live out the calling that God has had for us. But yet, just like that Tesla, we come back so that we can get charged up and charge each other up. And then we go again. We come and go. Come and go. It's not a come and done type of mentality. It's not a come and it's all done done and it's over with and we sit here and we're fat and happy in our faith till we die. We come and we go and we come and we go and we do it until we take our last breath. So the call of God on your life in this refuge of grace and if you're new here this morning we would love for you to be a part of this refuge of grace. We believe that God put you here this morning not out of accident but the Lord ordered your steps that you would be here. If you've got a family this is an amazing place for a family. So much so that we've invested for 50 years in a preschool through 12th grade so that we can help raise your kids with this mentality of God wants you. God created you. God thought of you before the foundation of the world so that you come to him and then you're sent out to accomplish his will. This is a great place, but we come and then we go. We come and get charged up and then we go. This is God's call upon each of your life. But we get good with the coming 
We get good with the coming to Him. We're good most of the time in coming together to be with our brothers and sisters. But yet when we leave, we don't ask Him to go with us. So we're going to close our service a little bit different this morning. Oh, our worship band is going to come in just a minute. We're going to close with a song. If you've not received Jesus Christ, I want you to come and receive him. So we want to give you that opportunity. So if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, as him as your father, and you've asked him to be the Lord, the Savior, the Messiah of your life, we want you to come and we want you to enter into that relationship, surrendering completely to him. But yet for the rest of us, I want us to spend a few moments with God asking him, where do you want me to go? If it's come, be filled with his grace, the Holy Spirit's power, united with my brothers and sisters, and then it's go. Where does he want you to go? Where does he want you to go? How does he want to order your steps? How does he want to get you out of the pause that you may be in right now? And the way that you discover that is by sitting in that pause for just a few moments, waiting for his direction. You don't get ahead of him. You don't keep taking steps saying, well, God's going to catch up with me. Oh, he's going to chase you. He's going to push pause to mobilize you the way they did Paul to get you right to the place. And I believe that this is the moment to where we wait on God and discover where it is that he wants us as individuals and together as a body to go. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's word together. Until next time, have a great week and be blessed.